bursts through like a ball. Don't argue. Uses the 15. Oh. How good is that? And what well played by Carey. He's away. Left foot snap. Oh, what a goal! What a goal from Wayne Carey. Plays on. Seconds only remaining. They've got to take a mark. Yeah! Dixon has taken a mark. Shoots for goal. He kicks the goal and Hawthorne wins the game. Hello and welcome to Don't Argue, powered by Fed Easy. We're proud to be here on Monday morning, getting in the business end of the season. Two rounds to go, then we get stuck into finals. Usual suspects, the number one news hound, Jay Clark. Welcome, Jay. Hello to go. The darker man who could kick on his right and the left was for balance. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and run around with the brown low three times. Well, that's what he tells us anyway. Wayne Kerry, welcome, Doug. Good to go, boys. Our yeah. special guest. Um, I'm a bit excited because... Yeah. Uh, Worked very closely with Mickey a little bit last year. Um, his name is Mick McGuan, but I'm going to give him a better intro than that. 155 games, twice a Copeland Trophy winner, mm-hmm. 1990 Premiership player, goal of the year, 25 bounces in 1994 <laughs> to kick that one. Um, Collingwood Footy Club royalty. Welcome, Mickey McGuan. Dicko, Duck, Jay, pleasure to be here, boys. Great to have you in, Mick. Um, as I said, did we to work with you last year. We've heard you on the radio for years, uh, and your footy prowess is unbelievable. You know your footy well. We're going to get stuck into that shortly. But we'd love to start with our guest, where you came from, how you got into footy. Tell us about growing up. Uh, yeah, I grew up in Sebastopol. Uh, we had the farm at Bungaree, uh, right next door to the Frawleys. So the McGuans and yeah. Frawleys live next door to each other. <laughs> and we always say to the Frawleys, well... The street that separates the two is McGuan's Lane, so we got the upper hand straight away. <laughs> um, but we had the Spud Farm, and Dad and Tommy ran the farm because they lost their parents at a really young age. And Judy, the older sister, she did the cooking. Uh, young Gavin, um, who's Luke's father, he got billeted out to a house in Ballarat because he was so young. Denise was another, the younger sister, and then um, Terry was the older brother who also helped on the farm. So. As a young kid, when mum and dad had me and my sister Suzanne, it was just a great experience to get and revisit the farm and be a country boy and you get the footy out at any time, the cricket bat at any time and just practice and hone your skills. Not like today, there's a lot of distraction. So how didn't you get a nickname Spud as well? <laughs> I wasn't a Spud farmer. <laughs> I couldn't stand the work. <laughs> no, it was just one of those things you, you venture into um, Sabas and just about 8K out of Ballarat. Um, had their footy club and cricket club, and that's all the the two uh, sports that interest me. And I suppose you fast track to sort of 14, 15, you go to St Pat's College. Um, not that I was good at uh, academically, it's just that I love the sport uh, of those two sports. And a lot of people thought at the time I was a better cricketer than footballer. Wow. I started playing A grade cricket when I was twelve on turf wicket and Ballarat cricket, uh, Ballarat League cricket was pretty good and strong mm-hmm. then. Yep. And then um, Graham Jelly was the St Kilda um, recruitment officer. And at that stage, if you're over in 15 years and six months, you're open property to go to any AFL club. And there was one game there I happened to kick 13 goals on a Wednesday night <laughs> for St Pat's first 18. I was captain of the first 18 and Bill O'Keefe was the Collingwood um, recruiting officer and he rang me old man in the, uh, that Wednesday afternoon it was. And um, he said, I'm coming to watch your son play. Dad come to school. He never come to school. Yeah. And I thought, oh, something's wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in trouble. What have I'm I in done? trouble. What have I done? <laughs> Last couple of days. Been <laughs> I said, yeah, I did something wrong. But he come there and he just said, mate, here's a chance of your lifetime. You've been a Collingwood supporter all your life. You've cried through their losses of, you know, 77, 79, 80, 81. Here's a chance to live your dream, go out and perform and happen to kick a few goals and sign with Collingwood that night because I was over 15 years and six months. I could go on to Collingwood's senior list at that stage of 50 senior and 50 under-19s juniors, and yep. 10 was available for an injury list component. Um, so I woke up the next morning, I was a Collingwood player, in theory. So you signed with them that night? Yeah, yeah. at the Ballarat Post Office, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Give, give us an indication of uh, what, sort of, what sort of coin. $70. $70? <laughs> $70, yeah, to play at, at the Collingwood under-19s. Surely under your dad could have got you a better deal than 70 bucks. <laughs> Mate, I would have signed for nothing. <laughs> I just wanted to play footy at yeah, AFL yeah. level and... Yeah, I was watching Dacos and Billy Pickin and yeah, you go through the history of Collingwood, some mm-hmm. great players at that time and we'd we drive up and down that freeway and you'd you'd sort of start commentating the game you just saw and you you revisit, you know, Ricky Barham taking five or six bounces down the wing and because they had a win you could commentate that, the lace out pass that he may have gave someone and you just sort of get ingrained in watching players play. And because I was such a fan of um, Dacos, my man used to say to me all the time, just watch where he runs, watch his angles, how many contests he get to. 
But then he'd say, well, okay, now you look at Michael Tuck or whoever was an opposition mm. gun midfielder when them games you went and watched and you just sort of revisit that in your mind when you went out and played for Sebastian as a junior or some Pats at um, school footy. So did St Kilda miss the boat then? Did they, didn't they have access to you? Yeah, they did. they did. They did. But as I said, they, a lot of people in Ballarat thought I was going to be going down the cricket path because I had seven district clubs chase me at the time. Um, I was still at school. Um, and everyone thought that cricket was my game. Yeah. I didn't think that. I was a pretty stubborn young fella and... I love footy more because it was more about mates yeah. and you got one chance to play cricket if you're batter, which I was, and a wicketkeeper. Wicketkeeper was okay because I was involved uh, regularly ball by ball, but as a batter, if you got out, the rest of the day was boring to yeah. me. Yeah. I just want to be around people to enjoy the fun, celebrate, great goal, pat him on the back, be a part of it yourself. They come to you. Same so, man. Yeah, it was just more about being amongst your mates and that's why footy to me was so important. Mm. And I didn't never probably sold myself that way. I knew internally what I wanted to do. And sometimes when you get negativity put on you about the decision you make, it just spurs you to greater heights and you use that as an internal belief. So as soon as you signed with Collingwood, was that the end of the cricket? Yeah, it probably. Yeah, it was. I played a bit of um, junk games when you know Collingwood might have an under-19 game as a practice match. Um, yeah, we play it, yeah, we played 10.30 <laughs> mm-hmm. and then it'd be finished by 12.30 but Sebastian used to name me just so I could get there by three and have a bat and <laughs> make a quick five, seventy or 80. And, um, that's what Maxie Diamond, the coach, used to do and they'd give me that opportunity to reconnect back home, which was great and I never sort of forfeited me mates in that regard and it was just good to revisit them because sometimes you get down to the big smoke and you know you can sort of forget where you get come from mm. uh, I've, I've never been that person um, I've always really respected where I've come from and the people you meet on the journey my old man used to say all the time you'll climb the ladder if you're successful but the same people you're passing the way up they'll be there on the way down yeah. and I think it's so true mm. that you don't forget where you come from uh, I agree with that one my old man said uh, shake everyone's hand on the way up because you never know what uh, can happen yeah Mickey you just mentioned you kicked 13 goals as a junior when did you make the transition into the midfield? Or were your midfielder kicking third? No, well, I played centre forward at St Pat's. Yep. It wasn't good right. as this bloke. Um, <laughs> I, um, I just, I just love. I always thought I was fairly creative mm. in terms of ball in hand, make good decisions, good with me left, good with me right, buy some time. I wasn't quick in a straight line, so I used to crab a bit to buy time on the ball. Um, but I always felt myself I was a midfielder. I'd go back to Sebastian and play midfield, but at St Pat's because Bob Aaron was the brother um, who was coaching the first 18 team, he felt that in front of the ball we just didn't have any um, blokes that could mark it or Targets. convert those mm. chances. So he played me probably in that position to do that. But when I went back home or back to my junior club or even playing seniors there, I played sort of half-forward on-ball ruck rover. It certainly bred your tough St uh, Pat's in winter. We used mm. to play you guys at Assumption. Yeah. Oh, my golly. <laughs> played well, in the snow there one day. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 Kilmore wasn't bad. You fry eggs on the concrete in Ballarat compared to Kilmore. <laughs> but, um, it was great because they were great games, weren't they? Like they St. Were. Pat's and Assumption College with Spock Carroll. And, uh, he was great. Like, he gave me a jumper, an Assumption jumper one game. We played Assumption. I had an OK game. And he came up to me, whether it's fact or fiction, he said, I've, gave, I've given away two of my time to an opposition player. And he, I've still got that Assumption College jumper. Mm-hmm. He gave me a jumper that I didn't even wear. Never went to the school. But on the back of what he thought was a pretty stellar performance, he gave me one of those jumpers, which I've treasured ever since because, yeah. the, you know, the names are synonymous coming out of Assumption College. Um, Dixon. Yeah, well, you know, Crawford. <laughs> Crawford. Crimmins. Um, yeah, Brownless. Danaher. Danaher. Uh, there's some great players come out of that uh, school. Yep. But 100% he'd be spot on the money, Ray Carroll. Uh, everything he says is gospel. You made your debut in 87, Mick. Tell us about back then and making your debut for the club that you just absolutely love. How old yeah. were you when you made uh, your debut then? So how... Uh, fifteen signing, signing fifteen. Yeah, I signed. I signed in. Uh, what fifteen six months? 15, yeah, six yeah. Months. I was over that. So yeah. I might have been sixteen when I signed. So yep. I might have been eighteen or something when I played my first game. I'm not really sure, but it was against I think Footscray was mm. it? Melbourne Footscray, one of them. I don't know. I think I it was think Footscray. You've and got to remember Jay, your first Yeah, game. I made them. I'm punch <laughs> drunk. Jay Clarkson. Um, meant to be. Uh, yeah, I think it was. Hand. I think it was Footscray yep. at uh, Witten Oval, and I remember twice I had to go against the flight of the footy and. Rick Kendy come out off the line. I said, oh, no. I said, this would be dangerous because <laughs> Rick had the pretty sharp elbows yeah. and he didn't miss generally. But I stood up and and I, I remember a couple of the senior players come to me straight away and said, oh, well, you know, now we know that we can play with a young kid like you. Wow. prepared to put yourself where the angels fear to tread. And Rick Kendy sort of said a few words. I was lucky That's to miss me. I felt the wind go across my ears a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get a lot of the footy, but it was just a great experience. Six touches against, uh, against Footscray. Yeah. Well, that, that's interesting because 
back then a kid coming in against men completely different to what it is now and I know you, you you know you love the game and you're still across it kids come in against kids now and they come in and they perform interesting enough you had six possessions yeah. kids come in an hour and have 25 30 because yeah. they're playing against other kids you were playing against men yeah completely and different I think it helped me from a confidence standpoint because I'd played senior footy against men and a lot of Ballarat blokes that went to St Kilda come back to the Ballarat League and I'm talking blokes that kick your head off like um, we had a guy called Errol Burns which was um, Greg Burns' brother yeah. uh, he wouldn't miss you um, you know Peter Keel was a very good player at St Kilda high accumulated ball he'd come back to uh, Golden Point he knew how to find the footy but he was just hard and tough over the footy yep. so it held you in good stead and getting under uh, Gary Hodges was another one who played sort of half back back pocket um, Ian Baker was captain coach of North Ballarat uh, he was a very good player, um, pretty ruthless. Greg Towns was at Dalesford. So I had an understanding of what yeah. was expected, but you're right. Um, this system that they come through now, it sort of conditions them for mm. it, but they're not playing against some hard um, men that didn't mm. miss you physically if yeah. they had the opportunity to put you into the grandstand. Mick, remarkably, you found your feet <clears throat> just so quickly. At Collingwood, uh, your fifth game against Fitzroy, Fitzroy, 29 touches. Uh, your 12th game against Melbourne, 31 touches. 16th against Carlton, 32 possessions. In that second season, I think you finished second in the in the BF, uh, best and fairest. 46 touches against St Kilda in your 20th game. <laughs> how, how, did it, what, how did it take off so quickly for oh, you? I got fitter. Um, I, was, I wasn't fit. fit. Look at that. I wasn't fit. Um, you just play on talent probably back then as a kid and you probably get hidden a bit. And, and I remember um, we used to train out at La Trobe and we had some pretty good endurance runners in Matty Ryan who was light of frame but could run. And I remember Matthew said to me straight up, he said, you know, we've watched you play under-19s. Um, you know to find it, but you don't get to the well enough. Um, we believe you've got to get fitter. So I really took it upon myself to get fitter and... There's no coincidence you have good um, performances on the back of that. When Mullane got killed um, in October, and he was my best mate, and it really cut to the core, um, losing him the way we lost him. And I stayed in his bed for the seven days before the funeral. Um, I was really close to Sean and John and um, Denise and Bob. And Darren was just fantastic for me as a young player coming to the coming down from the bush. And I still miss him today. Um, it's raw when you talk about him because he was lost to us too early. Um, he had a lot of um, influence, a lot of people, not only as teammates but in, in the world we live, um, hence the magnitude of his funeral, how big it was. And when I got the news that what happened happened, um, I remember I went to Ray Giles and I had a disappointing 91 and he did too. Uh, we got caught up in the euphoria of 1990, winning that flag and I remember I said to Giles, I said, listen, I said, if there's some void that has to be filled, I want it with pants um, passing, I want it to be me to fill it. And I was doing 14 sessions a week. Um, Giles, he got me as fit as what hands could make me. Uh, David Rhys-Jones trained with me. Rhys, a good mate of mine. Um, I wanted to get him out of the pub and smoking cigarettes mainly because I, I liked the bloke a lot. And he'd come and train with me. We'd meet at the, um, uh, the pub in the old Fenwick in Carlton, where Carlton blokes and Collingwood blokes used to drink. And I'd go to the Richmond gym, uh, the Richmond um, Tech, where Leo Berry had his boxing ring. Mm. And we'd, we'd spar. Um, we'd get in the ring with Costa Zoo, Jeff Harding, Jeff Fenwick when he was with Johnny Lewis. And he really got us super fit. Uh, Gavin Brown, we got him on board. And Brownie come down and did a lot of work with us as well. Uh, it was just great to just understand the importance of what being fit means. And it's no coincidence 92 was the best year I've ever had. Mm. Um, I was fortunate enough to win the Copeland. And I wanted to win it for Pants because I know how disappointed he was the year before with his performance and our performance as a collective. And I had a terrible year. Um, got caught up in it all, thinking how good was this, winning a flag, 32 years, all that sort of stuff. Mm. So the success, disease, complacency crept in, um, not only from a club standpoint but also from an individual standpoint. And with me best mate getting... Um, you know, passing away the way he did, I wanted to do something about it. Mick, I actually, um, this is no word of a lie, the first book I ever read was Pants. Yeah. Uh, tell us exactly the moment where you were and you heard the news. Uh, I was in Ballarat and my old man rang me and he said, have you heard the news? And I said, no, and it was early on a, I think it was on a Sunday morning or a Monday morning it might have been. And um, I said, no. Nah. He was, what are you saying to me, Dad? Mm. 
he was just indestructible. Mm. Um, he could never get hurt. And um, when he hung up, I knew it was fair income because my old man wouldn't ring me for that out no other reason. And um, I rang one of my best mates in Ballarat, Tony Walker, and I knew he'd be working. I said, mate, you've got to get me to Melbourne. I'd lost my licence during driving, and that's why I'd cut to the court. I survived my experience, and he didn't. He went under a truck. And um, I said to Max, I said, mate, you've got to take me to Melbourne. I said, I've got to be with the Malanes. I said, we'll meet all the boys at the pub and see where it takes us. Uh, so driving down that freeway from Ballarat to Melbourne was quite touching. Um, and a lot of things go through your mind at that time. Why, why wasn't I with him? Um, he rang me on the Saturday night saying he's coming back from Wagga or somewhere like that. I think he'd been up at a function, Albury it might have been. And um, where are you? That type of mentality, three in the morning. You know, <laughs> I'll meet you back here and we'll do this and do that. Anyway, I didn't take the call. Um, I was sound asleep. And um, you think, well, if it had been a little bit different, back then maybe you could have made a wiser decision and you'd be still here. So a lot of those things go through your mind mm. to say, well, we did a lot of things together and you do a lot of things that you probably regret mm. at the time, but at the time it was fun. Um, you talk about the bus incident with Banksy and Pants. I wasn't there that night, but I got blamed for it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Um, all those sort of things come out in the wash, but he sadly missed. He was a great character. He's through that area, you could go through footy, and I respected this bloke to the hilt because he galvanised blokes. And back then, it was a sort of a blokey type environment mm. where we didn't have a lot of married guys at Collingwood at the time. Shaw was married, Dacos was married, um, Brian Taylor was married. Uh, but besides those guys, I think uh, Mick Christian was married. Uh, but the rest were, you know, get out and about and do our best and mm. enjoy life and enjoy each other's company. And um, Pants was the the leader of that. I remember Alan Jean said to us one night when he come, Matthew's got him to speak to us, he said there's three three groups generally within a footy club. The drinkers will gravitate to the drinkers. Um, the guys that love the girls will gravitate to those type of guys and the academics will gravitate to the academics. But Mullane was probably the leader of two categories, not the academics. <laughs> <laughs> and we sort of gravitated with him and he sort of galvanised our group and he understood what it took to be trusted off the field and also trusted on the field and I reckon that's a reason why we were so successful in that 90, early 90 period what, it, what about him as as a player? Where, he was dynamic yeah. um, I always felt he was a far superior winger than what he was um, on baller yeah. um, we could exit through him with confidence he was so um, demanding of the footy but you could back his ability to win 1v1s um, he was cat-like once the ball hit the ground. He had great balance. He could go left, go right. He had great poise with the ball. If there was a 50-50 that had to be won at ground level, you know he'd run straight and stay straight, get low and stay low. And you could run with confidence knowing he'd win most of them. So you could start your offence on the back of having trust with him winning those crucial 50-50 balls. We tried to play him at centre forward at times, but I felt that he kept going wide to get space and time on the ball, which was clearly different to what a centre forward, I think, should play. Um... But he was dynamic, he was trustworthy. Um, if he said something, he would often deliver um, 99% of the time. Yeah. When he broke his thumb in round 18 in that 1990 year, um, it was just symbolic of him saying, well, I'll play today, I'll be in the hospital tomorrow to get the plaster cast put on, I won't train all week but I'll do my work on the sidelines and run as much as I can. You don't run with a, you can still run, run with, yeah. with a broken thumb. And he'd do one-touch work with his good hand. And then you'd walk into the game, ready for our team meeting at 12.25. You'd walk into the medical room to get an injection for your groin or whatever your issues were. But then five minutes later, Milan would be in there getting his plaster cast cut off and then getting an injection in his thumb to play that last six or seven rounds of that year. And you hear about the phrase all the time, you pay, play with small hurts. Yeah. Well, what price are you prepared to play? And you see the reason why you're so respected and we won the flag that year. So winning the flag in 1990, you would have known the history better than anyone at the footy club. <laughs> yeah, it was um, it was one of those feelings. You, know, you guys understand what it's all about. It's something you live for, you dream about. Um, as a young kid, country fellas, mm. we think that we might go okay, but you're in the big smoke now. And <laughs> the dream becomes a reality, and once that reality sinks in that you've achieved something that others only dream about mm. and don't get a chance to live... Um, I always used to reflect and say, well, OK, there's going to be 90,000 at the MCG, Collingwood-Carlton, Collingwood-Essendon, Collingwood-Richmond, grand final day. 
I used to say everyone in Ballarat has got in their car and drove to the stadium today. Mm. So that's the type of pressure I used to put on myself to perform, to say, well, now I'm under the eye of the microscope. And finals was no different. Grand mm. finals clearly are no different. And if you can step up in a big game, I think that's when you get your accolades. Um, you win the respect of the public and you win respect of the opposition players too. We, we, we understand that it's a cutthroat business and you want to beat the best. You want to match it with the best. You want to be tested against the best. But if you can match it, I think the internal eye of the opposition speak highly of you as well. What uh, a couple of the biggest moments in the 1990 that you remember? Um, in oh, Matthews, in July, um, he pulled us into the rooms um, on a Sunday morning. We, we had a pretty good win mid-season. And he just said the talk of um, being a premiership contender is very fickle. He said, we don't talk finals until the month of September comes. And being, you know, going through school at St Pat's, you understand the logic in that comment. So he more or less just said, don't get ahead of yourself. Mm. So that's, that rung true. It was so logical, but that was Lee. He was so logical in everything he said. He is so logical. That's still it. to this day. Still Isn't to this he? day. Still he's simple. Day. He's logical. He's the voice of reason. Mm. Absolutely. He is. Oh, I love him. Um, <laughs> he's just brilliant. He's brilliant. Whenever he speaks, you listen. There's a lot of common sense to what he says. Yeah. Um, he does try to reinvent the wheel in any way, shape or form. But he kept our feet grounded. Um, I remember at quarter time, two of the grand final when the big blue happened, Brownie got knocked out. And we knew that Chris Hiska and Brown, with the change-up of our midfield um, and also our forward line structure, Dacos was always going to be targeted. Um, but Brown was our pressure forward um, and a goal kicker. Chris Hiska was our pressure forward. He went from half-back to forward to give us um, control of an area of the ground. He said to us at quarter time, it won't be heads on the ground that wins the grand finals. It'll be those that attack the footy. And our next eight minutes was the difference in the game. I think we kicked five goals in about that period. Mm. And it was a strong message. He'd lived it. He'd been there. You know, Essendon Hawthorne games were pretty brutal in that period of time. Mm. And Lee just gave us a fantastic template to work from. Um, history will tell us now that since that drawn final where Sumich probably should have kicked the goal that he didn't, mm. in our last quarters we didn't concede one goal. In that grand final, you talk wow. about tackle pressure now, when there's density around the ball, yeah. we had 52 tackles in that grand final. Oh. So clubs are having 52 now when there's numbers around the footy like it is. Wow. Yeah. We had an appetite to defend. Yeah. Wow, and the, the the history, obviously, the, the collie wobbles and, the, um, you know, the, the history of the losses, did it feel like a relief for the whole club, you know, when you're able to buck that trend? Yeah, you did. Um, a lot of a lot, a lot was said about the collie wobbles, I suppose, about three weeks later. I think we're still living the life of trying to get rid of them. We are over in Tassie taking the cup and me and Elaine got on a drink and a few others did. <laughs> and and uh, we made we were meant to be back for the burial of the collie wobbles day. Oh, yeah. And uh, we got caught up in it all and we got a bit late and missed the early flight. And, you know, I rang McAllister and jazzed him up and said, Mullane's been locked up and Matthews assaulted somebody. He shouldn't have. He was sticking up for us. And what? <laughs> McAllister was on the way to the airport to fly out and get us out of trouble. It never happened. I can't even remember ringing him back. <laughs> so we got into trouble over that. And, yeah, we just tried to keep everyone involved in the <laughs> celebrations of it all. But those things happened. It was one of those things that did happen. And it was just it was a joyous occasion. Like... You get young people and old people crying when you're up on the podium at Victoria Park and the numbers were just frightening. Mm. To get from in the town here where we were to Victoria Park escorted by police to go down Hoddle Street was something I'll never forget. Okay. And you look back, and I'm not a muso, but you look at the pop stars and that mm. what they how they have to live. I've got mm. no idea about what's the best single or whatever, <laughs> but you understand what they go through. <laughs> we live that for that short space of time, the rock star status, because... When we're going down Hoddle Street, there were supporters trying to rock the bus and want to touch her and be a part of it. But then you'd look out the window and you'd see a grown lady be crying and a grown man be crying, young kids at your feet wanting a part of it. I remember I lifted a young kid who was getting squashed up against the back of the truck. I got him up on stage with this, I had this stupid hat on my head and I gave it to him and just little things like that. Young kids just don't wow. forget. He'd still have that hat, Mick. I, I yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. No doubt he would. Yeah. Um, just on that, they get a bad name, the Collingwood supporters. What were they like back then? Oh, they were brilliant. I had a great um, connection with them um, because I've always been a person that if you can give an autograph, give it. Uh, the day they don't ask it for you, the day you know you're finished. Yeah. Yeah. So I was one that was very forthgiving um, because I knew what it was like as a kid. I used mm. to love coming to Collingwood training and lean over the fence and see a senior player running past, whether it be Neville Shaw or or a, you know, a, a more profound name. Mm. Um, they'd always give their time up. Yeah. And I was one for saying, well, Tomorrow's going to come and it might be that chance for that kid to connect mm. to the game that we love and mm. we're fortunate enough to have a kick and do our best. Mm. 
But those kids, they don't forget. They don't forget. I remember Tony Lockett used to go to Ballarat Dogs, and my grandfather had dogs, and we'd go to Broadway Park, and Plugger would obviously be one of those guys that would train up and travel up and down, live in Ballarat at the time. And he'd come to Ballarat Dogs because that was his out, his emotional out. And you'd have that many people just talking to him, getting autographs signed. It was something I'd never forgotten. If Tony Locker could do it, mm. Mm. a little old hack called Mick McGuan could do it as well. Mm. So I'd never forgot that, and it was just a great experience to be involved with Collingwood at that time because of that very nature. Plugger no. doing a couple of autographs going back back to the, uh, the three in the next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Certainly not a hack, mate. 1990 Premiership player, two-time best and fairest winner in 92-94, and then the goal of the year in 1994 versus Carlton. I was 12, and I can remember that yep, line. I can too. Yes. Yesterday, take us through that in- incredible goal. Well, it was funny because I gave Bucks the best pay of all time because he kicked the goal before and against the team really went for a forward handball to happen that he didn't give and I give it to him. Yeah. I was vice-captain, I think, at that stage. Yeah. So I thought I had my right to give it to him. And, <laughs> what did, you uh, do? did he do a U-turn? No, he? he was meant to give a trigger handball yeah. just yeah. in front of the ball and then give a check from behind. So yeah. he took it upon himself and that's okay. But I just said, hey, be careful, team rule getting broken. So the next one, Monkers comes out, sort of gives it to me, and I veered to me left, and I saw Fraser versus... He went to the wing first. Yeah, yeah I, well, I, I, just, I, I just knew that um, in front of the ball there wasn't an option. I'd quickly mm. seen it, and then I veered to me left, and then, I, as I said before, I crabbed a bit to always buy time on the ball because yep. I was confident going left or right to buy some time from the chaser. But I looked over to me left, and I saw Mark Fraser versus Fraser Brown. I said, well... Fraze does his work, I'll get around there pretty quick. And he did. He shepherded magnificently. Anyway, I looked up and I saw Sexton versus Rocker, and we had a rule, closest forward must present and keep your width. So it'll make the defender then make a decision if he has to peel off and come to the ball carrier or stay with him, which creates the avenue to goal. So... Sav to his credit kept well, what's to funny, the well, well, This is what's great about this is great insight because this is you're analysing all of yep. this while you're on the run yep. and the crowd's yep. going berserk. Game plan. Yeah, you're just you're, yep. you're just saying, okay, I know he's going to do yep. that. It's all just calculating. Me yeah, off the matrix. <laughs> <laughs> so then you're computing that exactly. Yeah. So I looked up and I've, I don't know with three or four bounces. I knew phrase a brown was done with, and then I knew Diesel wouldn't be able to chase me from a different angle. Um, I was worried about Craig Bradley, where he was coming from, because Bradles had some speed, but I could sense that there was nothing come from right, right shoulder, and I was worried about what Rocker was doing. And then all of a sudden, I got to about the 50-metre arc, and I could see at the left eye that Sexton was peeling off at speed. And as you know, they're the easiest blokes yeah. to get around. They're overcommitted, and I just knew that he was a bit of a statue as he was. <laughs> uh, he... he um, he was a good player, but um, it was easy to get around. And by the time I got around him, I was in within 35, 30. And Seven bounces. Just kicked it through. Still had the energy to kick it, though. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You, you just summon up the courage to you know, seal the deal, don't you, Duck? Yeah, yeah. No point giving it to someone else to stuff up. So <laughs> I thought I'll kick this through and see how we go. And it was just one of those what, things what that did you win? What did you win for goal of the year back then? Yeah, well, that's an interesting story as itself. I remember I got pinched for drink driving and I got pulled over and the copper said, you've had a few to drink? I said, yeah, I've had a few. He said, when was your last drink? I said, I haven't had it yet. That didn't go down too well. <laughs> he said, what's your favourite drink? I said, the next one, smart ass. he said. <laughs> so I got uh, pinched for um, losing my licence, which I'm not proud of, but it happened. And Bruce McAvaney rings me up from Channel 7. He says, oh, can you come in your one goal a year? I said, yeah, oh, that'd be nice, Bruce, blah, blah, blah. He said... Um, Gary Abbott's won the mark against Collingwood in the yep. forward pocket over Gary yep. Pert, oh, the mark yep. that he dropped. But we still got <laughs> it. So he got introduced to the crowd. He's won a $70,000 four-wheel drive. And I'm thinking, geez, that's okay. My VB Commodore doesn't look <laughs> that good in the backyard now, so I might get a new car. So I get introduced by, I think it was Brian Brown or someone from Mobile Petroleum. I'm thinking, Mobile Petroleum, what am I going to win? They gave me $1,500 worth of petrol. I didn't have any licence to use it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the ups and downs of what offers. Oh, what that's hilarious. Yeah. It's funny you say that, though, Vic, isn't it? Like, he sums all that up in a game of footy. That's Half the players these days can't right. walk and mm. chew gum at the same time. Yeah. You're yeah. ahead of your time. But we're going to take a break. Yeah. Uh, plenty more to come with Mick McGuan after the break. You're listening to Don't Argue, powered by Bird Easy. Marriage, Martin on the bike. Check sides and how does it bounce? Welcome back to Don't Argue Power Bike, but easy. It's been a great first half with Mick McGuan, our special guest. We could have him in all day, but we've only got him for another 20-odd minutes. All right, let's get into it, Mick. Uh, one of the other things that sticks in my head, and along with uh, Wayne and Jay, is your groin problems Yeah. and the game against Adelaide at Victoria Park. Yeah, bad day. Terrible day that day. 
Um, see, remember back then we we'd play three games in a week, duck. You play yeah. Saturday, state footy on a Tuesday night. Yeah. Uh, Victoria, Western Australia, Victoria, South Australia, and then you'd have to come up again on the weekend. So the overload was pretty immense, like particularly from a midfielder standpoint. We didn't. We'd never heard of rotations back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd no, ruck over, you stay on. Yeah, yeah. Mark McKean would say, come to the bench, and you'd run the other way, <laughs> keep away from him. But I remember on the Thursday night, I was sore as a boil, and we're playing Adelaide, and I knew McDermott, Jarman, Anderson on the outside, McGuinness on the inside. They had some really good ball winners, and I knew it was an important game for the club. And I went to Matthews, and I said, oh, mate, do you mind if I have another night off just to get right? And I said, well, see what's wrong? I said, oh, I'm just playing up the groins. I went and seen Shane um, Conway, our um, footy doc, and I said, mate, I said, I'm struggling to get up this week, but I've got to get me up. He said, come and see me tomorrow at um, his Preston practice. So I did. I said, Matthews wants to put me through a bit of a test um, before our team meeting on a Friday night back then, which you'd do. So I got there about half past four, and I got injected, and camouflage the issue, get through training, okay, put my hand up, play, yep, sweet. And then Shane said, make sure you come and see me again on the Saturday morning, which I did, about 10.30, 11. I don't know what he gave me. It was strong stuff. Mm. It was local anaesthetic, a bit of cortisone back then. But it got to a point, um, probably about 10 minutes before I ran out, I said, Doc, I said, I can't hardly lift my leg. I said, what are you done? He said, no, it'll be right, it'll be right, it'll kick in, it'll loosen up a bit. And I said, all right, no worries. I went out the warm-up. Anyway, as we used to do, our mids and our forwards would kick into our defenders, our defenders kick it back and have some set shots at goal. So I'm starting to get my leg going over, ticking over, and I dropped the footy. You become so attuned to your habits, you know, hand, ball drop, head, hand, foot aligned. You drop the footy right, your leg naturally comes through based on who knows how many kicks since mm-hmm. your childhood. Ball kept hitting the ground. I couldn't get my leg through it. <laughs> so wake up, you goose. What's wrong with you? So anyway, I did about three or four of them and hit the ground. I couldn't bring my leg through. Next minute, siren goes, get to your positions. I was had one of those days where the ball just followed me and I was on Andrew Jarman and McDermott and I had a job to play on them and off them. It wasn't a significant tag, but accumulate the footy yourself. And I had 22 in the first half. I had 18 handballs. Now, I never used to handball. Mm-hmm. I tried to use my feet. And I remember I took a mark about 25 metres out the social club end with Paul Williams right next to me. And I said to Willow, I said, mate, I said, come back with me. I said, we need this goal. I said, I'm going to handball it to you. You face the goals on your right side. So stay my left side. Yeah. So anyway, I'm walking back and he's sort of backpedalling back. And I've just handballed it to him and he's facing goal and he put it through. Because I wasn't confident at that stage of actually kicking it accurately. Mm. And it was all because of that. Yeah. And Ronnie Richards, who was our Lou Richards' brother, he was on match committee. He goes, mate, come in at half time. He said, I know the problem with you. He said, you aren't used to the Ross Faulkners. Because when we played Adelaide back then. They, they would rotate. They'd, correct. Yeah. They'd alternate between the Sharon and the Ross Faulkner. It was the ball's quarter by quarter. He blamed the ball because he said, Ross Faulkner's a plumper. <laughs> that means they'll drop to the ground quicker. And your leg hasn't adjusted to that. <laughs> I said, Ronnie, I said, I love your thought, mate. <laughs> It's not that issue at all. It's just I can't feel my leg. Yeah, I can't feel my leg. Couldn't lift it. But you were forced to kick a couple of times. Yeah, I was. And it went along the On the ground. wing. Yeah, I just, I went to kick it, but it hit the ground. My foot was coming through and it was more or less dabbing the ball as yeah. it hit the ground. I just had no strength in my leg to bring it through and make that connection. What did people say on the field or fans over oh, the Oh, the boys or? knew there was something wrong. And my old man was in the grandstand that day and this Collingwood supporter, what the bloody hell, Maguan, you've had a few too many beers. My old man jumped over about three pedals and grabbed him by the throat because <laughs> my old man was a bit of fiery sort of bloke and he said you, haven't you watched this bloke for so many years he's a good kick can't you realise there's something wrong with him and yeah. sort of stood up for me that yeah. way what yeah. about Collingwood um, your beloved club yeah the exit and then uh, the move to Carlton tell us about that yeah it was um, it was one of those things at the time that was really um, disappointing the way it finished I remember at the start of the year and I haven't gone into detail about it for obvious reasons so I respect the club so much um, it was a decision I made um, I wasn't really um, sure he put it on me at the start of the year. You know, we need you at your best. We're a better team when you're up and going. Um, we win a lot of games of footy when you're out there. I said, mate, you've got me. I said, there's no issue. And my first five games when I got injured in that Anzac Day game, when I ruptured me urethra, I was leading the best and fairest at that stage. Um, so I jumped into the season pretty well. But I was in there for 21 days. Um, had me testimonial that year with Brownie, Gav Krasiska and Richo. I got out of hospital, uh, had two catheters. What happened, Mick? What happened in the incident? You, I, got, I, you got kicked. No, no. I, I actually I dived on a loose footy and I got a knee, which is very conducive to a motorbike accident. And the urethra tubes between your bladder and where you pass your water. 
and it, it's, it crushed, so I couldn't pass my water. So I had 1.5 litres of toxin build up my bladder that I couldn't get rid of. Oh, no. So then I had to have a fairly, fairly severe operation, which was life-threatening. If it had a burst, I was gone. And I, stupid me was thinking, Brereton got me out at Waverley one day accidentally, and I passed me water and it was blood, and it was similar to this situation. I thought, oh, well, it dissipated. Um, it come good. And I thought this same situation happened. So I didn't say nothing until you sort of get to a stage where... I was sitting down to pass me water through trying to force it out, uh, like constipation, you know, just mm. trying to get rid of it. So you weren't well? I wasn't well. Mm. And I was in the grandstand when we played St Kilda. I remember I said to, I'm sure in the lead up to the week, I said, oh, I reckon you should put um, Buckley uh, behind the ball. Um, we played, uh, I think Buckley went to you that same year at half back and did a pretty good job on yeah, you. Yeah, he did. Um, and it was a bit that mentality. So I said to Dad and Gavin come down from Queensland, we are talking about how we're going to set up the ground. Um, we thought Nathan Burke had tagged Buckley, which he tried to get, but he didn't get his want. By half time, I said to me, oh, man, I said, I'm crook. I said, something wrong here. Mm. He said, go, what's wrong? And he felt me like that. And he said, Jesus Christ. He said, better go down and see it. So I went down and seen the doc, and within an hour and a half, I was at Warringal Private waiting for a urologist to come in to operate. Um, and he came in straight away. He said, quick, get this guy to theatre. I said, if it bursts, he's out of... He's, um, he'll be finished. Oh. So then I um, stayed in there, as I said, for 21 days, and I was really disappointed at the time, um, the way it ended. Um, I was in hospital. You know, Tim Watson was Channel 7. He wanted to do an interview. I wasn't up to talk to anyone. Michael Long was in the hospital at the same time. Long, he come and spent probably two or three hours with me one day. Uh, he was getting his patella looked at. Um, and then Shorey come in with his son having a break uh, he broke his arm at school and Dad saw him at the canteen and he just said to him, you know, what are you doing here, Brian? He said, what do you think I'm doing here? I said, his son's on his deathbed down the road. Mm. And um, Dad come back with the newspaper and he said, uh, oh, your mate will be here shortly. I said, I just, I said, who was that? He said, Shorey. And Shorey had a lot on. He was coach. Um, the boys weren't going that well. Um, and at that point, I thought, oh, well, he'll get on the phone or come and see me. And he didn't. And that probably was the reason why I made a decision. I said, well, at the start of the year, you wanted to care, but maybe when I was no good to you because of my situation, um, could I play under him again? I thought long and hard about it. I probably couldn't. Have you been able to patch that up with him since? Uh, we see each other at reunions, but it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, do I want it to be the same? Yes, I do. Uh, I've got great admiration for Tony Shaw. Um, 300 up games. Probably the best competitor I've seen for his size, his shape. His willingness to compete was incredible. Um, he was a great captain, a leader of men. Um, he was strong. Uh, but that's probably the reason why I made a decision in the end, whether it would be right or wrong. I've always been brought up, you be good to people that are good to you. Well, well I, don't, I obviously didn't know that story. So you're actually in hospital, still mm. at Collingwood. Yep. And the senior coach didn't come to see you while you are in hospital. No. That is unusual. It is, yeah. That is unusual. Yeah, that's why. I mean, that... the, the, the senior coach... You know, got an injury. You know, senior coaches get in, and then a life-threatening injury. Mm-hmm. That that is an unusual set of circumstances. Yeah, and that's that's probably the core of the decision, Duck, yeah. as to why um, it happened the way it happened. Um, you know, Graham Allen come in. I calls from and 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 Lee and Matthews played in the premiership um, together as well. Yeah, absolutely, so not, mate. Not I love him. He, he taught me how to train. Mm. He taught me what hard work was about. Mm. And um, he was, like I said, he was a, a lot of people get banded around as being great captains but under my experience um, he was one of the great captains of that era because of one how he went about it he'd verbalise he'd terrorise he'd get into the heads of others uh, but he'd back it up mm. um, he didn't ever said nothing he wouldn't do himself surely he was that competitive I remember was he, was he under was he under pressure at that point with his coaching or was this um, right at the start of his coaching no career? this was round five and by the time I was in there it was probably about round um how far into his coaching career was he then? Do you know? uh, second year. Second year. Yeah, that yeah. was in 96. So he had 95, I think. Um, yeah, it was just interesting the way it panned out. It was disappointing because there's no one known we're as close as what we were on the back of that decision. Um, and it was my decision. In the mm. end, everyone said, Collingwood got rid of me. I walked into the club with my dad and Bob Rose was in the room and um, Graham Allen was in the room and... I walked in and I said, where's Shorey? I said, I've got a decision to make and I've got a message to tell him. And they were in the back room with um, Mark McKean, Stan Magro, um, Danny Frawley was there then. So I just was open and honest with him and 
that was it. Mm. Within three or four days, I was at Carlton. How did he take it at the time? He obviously gave oh, me sure, a yeah. feedback. Yeah, sure, he just gave me a handshake. He said, that's life. So whether that was he's out of saying, well, good, he's out of the joint, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it was just one of those things that really hurt. I remember doing Channel 7, the last game at um, Victoria Park against Brisbane. Um, Damien Munkus was left out of the team and I just felt, mm, is that really good with what Monkey's given the club? Mm. Sure, mm. he's a teammate in a premiership team. I reckon sometimes you've got to have a bit of romance in you in those decisions as well. wasn't going to change the fortunes of the team that year, where we were going to finish, what was going to happen on the back of that consequence. Um, but the loyalty that um, Monkey gave that club, I would have thought, mm. would have been a great way to send him off before he went down to St Kilda. Mm. Kuzitsky at St Kilda in a similar situation. Yeah, 100%. Anyway. And um, the m- yeah. move to Carlton? Yeah. Short and sharp, Mick? Yeah, it was. I um, played the first three games and I tore my left groin in that M&M game. Mm. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember... The live blue. One of being the girls. I remember Parker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember Parker come to me at the start of the week and he said, uh, we've had two hit outs. What do you reckon this week? I said, give me Rashudo Because um, Rashudo jumped into the season really well. Mm. And um, I said, I, I want to play on him, on him and off him and... He went to a wing to start that day, and so I went outside. And I remember the ball was going down to the Heatley stand end and um, was being a sliding wingman to come in between a fat side entry where Modra and Silvani were coming, and I took a mark against the flight, and Parco come down at quarter time. He was fairly um, strong in his words of saying, this is how you've won the Carlton people over now. And he said, now you world your oyster. Hmm. He said, because there was a lot of, oh, what are we getting him for? Yeah. He's broken down. Yeah, yeah, He's this yeah. and that, and rightfully so. And... Um, I just took that mark and the faithful got out of their seats and said, well, you know, that was okay. And I'd had a pretty good start. Um, I think I kept him about three touches in 35 minutes, had 13 or 14 myself. Um, he was up and going. Rue's a champion bloke, mm. um, great competitor, fierce. And um, I tore me left side of me groin. I knew I was done. I come off and I broke my hand as I hit the thing, um, the dugout at uh, Princess Park there. In frustration? In frustration, yeah. I just knew that I'd work so hard to get back and try to prove something because the next week we're playing Collingwood. Oh. And that was in the back of my mind because I just set myself for that and I knew I'd probably go through the middle against Williams or Buckley and I just wanted to really test myself against the best even though I, I love the joint. Where's the irony in that? You start at Collingwood at 18, go back with the flight to go, yep, you've made yourself in and you do the same at Carlton? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, you base it on habits and yeah. sometimes you've got to go where angels fear to tread and... Um, you just do what you got to do. It's I an mean, incredible career, Mick. Like credit to you, mate. Well, it is yeah. to put up with all the um, the injury issues. How, how many painkilling injections do you reckon you had over that journey to deal with all that oh, sort of stuff? Probably, I, I had six groin operations and that ruptured urethra, um, and that was hard getting up after every operation post season. Um, as a midfielder, and you yeah. know, you're competing against blokes that's in our forward six for four. You could run, well, you run around. Carlton at that stage because you used to train a fair bit there. Yeah, yeah. you'd run really strong times. Yeah, ten minutes. Yeah, ten and a half. So if you weren't doing that, you'd come back to the field pretty quick. Mm. And one thing I could do was run. Mm. Um, I remember say Anthony Stevens had some great contests with him. He was he was fierce in one on one, and Dennis tried to stiffen them up. They had German Larkin, these types of guys that you'd go and test your wills against. But then a younger emerging group come through, and then. That led to the real, um, probably the imposition of wills, I call it. Um, your mind versus his mind, your physicality versus his physicality, who wants to give in first. And it was really, really good to say, well, invite the best to play on you, but then you've got to find a way to beat them, even though they might be going for the footy. Now, Steve-O, when he first started, he wasn't going for the footy. Mm. He just was task-orientated, beat yeah. the opposition's best, bring him back to us. But then he eventually started yeah. with his own footy. But it was a great start learning curve for him and others, and that's the reason why I get shocked in today's footy. You look around at Tom Mitchell and they say he's too hard to tag. Well, why is he too hard to tag? <laughs> yeah. Don't give me that. Give me Levi Greenwood versus Joel They, 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 they just shake hands at the start of the game now and well, say they think it's violence. the end of the game. They <laughs> think shaking hands is violence now. <laughs> it's not. It's a starting point. Yeah. And you can certainly step in, step across to go and give them first look at the footy. Mm. And then if they want to restructure on the back of that, that's a victory. But to give them their want... And allow their want to continue to be so dominant, I just can't understand. It. It. And they talk about team defence that upsettled us. No, you can be one down in team defence because the opposition ain't getting it. It only becomes a defensive ploy if the opposition start controlling the footing. And if you're going to concede to the best midfielder in the competition on an average of 40 per game, yeah. you're going to operate in defence more than attack. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't get the logic in that. <laughs> well, it's a good point you make, Mick, because 
I've loved hearing, uh, obviously, your insights to yeah. footy. you got one of the best footy brains, I reckon, Bloody I've hate. ever heard. Yeah. Um, you went coaching afterwards. You went Richmond, St Kilda. Yep. You're obviously still coaching now. Yep. But you just love it, don't you? Yeah, I do. Um, I just love it in the view that I just love being around men. I just love the environment of being around blokes because um, Dad was that yeah. with me as a young kid growing up. Um, it gave me my vehicle to where I wanted to go, and I reckon footy and sport and life, there's a lot of tangibles around them. Um, when I went to Richmond just to do some opposition analysis, Terry Wallace gave me that chance, and I'm, I'm grateful for Plough. I reckon he's fantastic. Um, he's different. He's innovative. Um, he wanted me to be a part of their um, opposition analysis um, on a full-time basis when David Whedon was going to go. But then at the same time, Matt Rendell rang me from St Kilda, who was working under Grant Thomas, and they said, well, where are you? I said, I'm down at Mirabara Trots with a few mates. Just went away from Ballarat for the day. And we went to the Trots, 30-minute drive. And he said, can you come in tomorrow? And I thought, oh, yeah, who is it? He said, it's Matt Rendell. I said, yeah, of course. And I hung up. Oh. And he rang me back. He said, it's Matt Rendell, mate. <laughs> yeah. Bungie would have gone, now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said, yeah. And I went back and thought, oh, how fast is this going to go? Anyway, I got down there. I said, how formal is it? And they said, no, it's just an informal chat. So I went down there. It was Cripps and... Um, Mifsud, Thomas and Rendell in the room. They said, oh, we want to know if you want to be a part of us going into this year. And this was uh, probably early January, just after Christmas. We don't expect you to start on February 1. And I said, OK, I'll have a crack at it. No worries. So they gave me the gig. And um, that was hard because you go to a new environment. As a coach, you've got to build relationships with your players. And I didn't know any of them, except for Robert Harvey. Played on halves a lot. Mm. Um, loved him. Champion, great fella, humble, um, no idea what ball was like, no idea what Goddard was like. Watched him from afar. Del Sano was emerging. Lenny Hayes, what a competitor, mm. but what was he like? And they asked me to look after the midfield. Two weeks away, I think it was the Thursday night, we had a Collingwood function, Hall of Fame night, got inducted. I was on the plane at six o'clock the next morning to go to Perth to play a practice match against West Coast Eagles and Mandra. And I don't even know these guys. Um, so that happened really quickly. Mm. And by the time the end of the year happened, we got beat by Melbourne in that final. We finished with 17 blokes. Kaczynski got knocked out again. Mm. Ex-Clark, Raf Clark got injured. Harvey does his hamstring, getting tagged by Cam Bruce. Finishes my last three quarters more or less out of the goal square. Fraser Gehrig does his ankle. Um, really put us back. Mm. Uh, we got beat after being so brave. And then... I remember we were doing our list management discussion, a bit of our review, and then the phone goes. Um, Tomo gets up out of his seat out of the match committee there. Uh, this is after our season's finished, and he says, comes back in, he says, come on, boys, we're going to have some lunch. We'll come back and revisit this in an hour or so. I'll go and chat you some Chinese. So we go down and have some Chinese just in Bay Street, Brighton there, and um, next minute Grant gets up, phone goes again. It was Georgie Fitch, communications lady at St Kilda at the time, and she says... Um, things don't look good so he ducks outside for about 10 minutes we're ordering the fluffy omelette and the peaking duck and how it is. <laughs> so he comes back and cancels the um, the order he says I don't think it's good he said I think I'll lose my job and I said what? you operated 66% win-loss ratio mm. I said you've been to two preliminary finals we just got beat under trying circumstances on Friday night had to meet Rod Butters by 4 o'clock that day there was a press conference to say Grant Thomas is, Grant Thomas is not coaching St Kilda anymore and I was just absolutely shocked. So that was in a six-month whirlwind yeah. um, period. Mm. And then St Kilda um, said you contracted on October 31st, which you were. They were still in the process of going through coaches. Um, I got an opportunity to go to RSN on the breakfast show, co-host with Chris O, teammate in 1990. Um, so I waited and waited because I wanted to stay in the footy landscape because I knew that I wanted to be where I wanted to be. Mm. And that was involved in the AFL industry. Um, and all of a sudden... Guy McKenna, Chris Bond, Guy, uh, John Longmire and Ross Lyon were the four candidates they were interviewing. And the longer they left it, the closer it was to me cut-off date to make a decision with RSN. Yeah. So I just said, basically, do I shoot or get shot? Yeah. Um, I don't want to lose out on either front. So I got on the front foot and I took up the position, not knowing what was going to happen down there. Mm. That's what happened. Well, Mick, it's been uh, an absolute beauty, to be yeah, honest. Outstanding. Um, 
Can we have you back in? Yeah. yeah. No worries, guys. Part two. Yeah. I uh, appreciate it, Mick. Uh, as I said, worked with you last year, and obviously your footy now is uh, something probably untapped now, mate. Uh, hopefully you get back in the AFL circles at some Would you stage. like to get back involved? Um, I'm not sure, Dan. I mean, you've had such great success, mm. obviously, yeah. obviously, in the EDFL, coaching yep. Keelor yep. still on top of the ladder yep. currently. So uh, maybe another flag around the corner. Mm. Um, if you got the opportunity, would you would you step back in? Yeah, I, it's a bit like you don't go to a wedding without an invitation, don't you? Um, I go down and watch clubs train because I'm just love. I just love the because it's because it. right now it's that time of year, and I know you're invited. It's hard because you're about to go into your own don't, finals yep. campaign. But it's that time of year where all the assistant coaches have been told yep. whether they've got a job next year or yep. they haven't. Yeah. So there are assistant coaches walking around now. I guess applying for it's a really unusual situation. I think well, I don't like it. Uh, yeah, well, because Mark I hate it actually. So Mark mm. Brayshaw, I think it's what the coaches wanted though, because they wanted to know, you know futures, early yeah. their futures mm. early enough so they could, M- I guess, seek other mm. opportunities early enough. But now it's a situation where you've got clubs in finals, and you've got coaches that have been let go, and they're looking for jobs while... Yeah, they're dead men walking. Still, yeah. yeah, still going on. So At the end of the day, Duck, if you've got hard, an end point and you say, right, oh, no decisions are going to be made where you're going to be or contracts are going to be u- renewed, do it after the final home and away game mm-hmm. yeah, or after the final series so they're all under the same umbrella. Yeah, yeah. And so if there always is a cut-off point, exactly. the next day... You all can start where you want to go, yep. or all be told. The negotiations that no are starting. Absolutely. Yep. So why would you want to? Because actually there, because entertain? there would be guys, there would be guys at an advantage, guys almost now that are highly qualified out of the finals because they're sort of putting their case forward already. Mm. Whereas sides, there might be sides at the bottom part of the eight that there's. I mean, already West Coast, you've got Sam Mitchell who's mm. already said he wants yeah. to leave. So. There's already, you know, they're disadvantaged mm. to a degree. Some yeah. of those guys that might be let go that make the eight mm. because they're still involved in. Yeah. Mitch goes to the Hawks, he might have been playing in a prelim. Look out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's unusual. Exactly. It is unusual, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But listening to you today, Mick, like, cheapers, you, you'd add to an AFL club. Of course like, he would. You know, I've always wanted to see in your case. You've been with your first uh, appointment. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> I'm doing yeah. level four next year, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming in today. Yeah, appreciate yeah, it, guys. Really 100%. Appreciate Mate, I've always wanted to be a senior coach, but okay. family first, and then once the kids are at school, I'm going I'm going flat out at it. Joe, I heard you spraying Fox Balls. That was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was 30 was seconds, Mick. Yeah. You should have seen the full five minutes. That was beautiful. Well, if you want a, if you want a good goal-kicking coach, Dicko. <laughs> Duck, you're my second appointment. Come and see me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's good. I love it. Can't kick on your left, though. <laughs> nah, Mick, once again, thanks no very much for coming in. Anytime, Benny. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Join us on Thursday for our preview show of Round 22. You've been listening to Don't Argue Power Bite. Bit easy. Bit easy.